You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I'm one of your hosts, Roger Gaddis. And I'm your other host, Jason Wheeler. And today, we have finally figured out how to do this podcasting thing really well. (laughs) That's right. Well, we have a a guest we should introduce. He is the uh, Chief Executive Officer of White commercial CEO, if you will. Some people call him that. Um, Phil Luce. He's been on the show before, but never as a CEO. So we're glad, glad to have you, Phil. How's it going? I'm jealous. I'd, I'd like to be able to introduce myself as a host of this podcast, but I feel like I missed the opportunity in the early days. So <laughs> I have to make do with guests. Interesting use of the word opportunity, but please proceed. <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, we have Phil on because uh, Phil. So recently, you gave uh, like a keynote introduction. Is that is that what we call it? I don't know. It, we call it opening remarks. Opening remarks of our big conference. So we do a conference every year for just for grain merchandisers across North America uh, that all come down. We did it in San Antonio this year. It was a good time. And anyways, Phil spoke from the stage uh, and had some really good thoughts we, we and we have a recording of it and we're like man this is a lot of stuff we should talk about on the podcast so we started making notes and tried to say okay how do we pretend like this was us saying all these examples and we're like this probably shouldn't since he's our boss now so um so so let's just let's just play it for people because it's really good so that's what we really want to do is give this information to people in their ears and uh, so anyways, we got Phil uh, to come in to come in here uh, ahead of the uh, going to open us up for his opener to open. It. No, just so you guys would know, like we didn't do this behind us back. Right. Phil, you give us complete. Uh, complete permission. Is that the word to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Complete permission. Good deal. No. So um, it's a little, <laughs> we can cut all this. That's great. So uh, <laughs> just we, don't edit it to make me say something ridiculous. That's all. Okay. Now, maybe you don't understand complete permission. <laughs> uh, so anyways, but the remarks were a lot about, um, about the current, the environment we're in and, and with, spreads being not much carry these days and and how we manage the rallies and and all that stuff the the seldom time and being less emotional in your decision making which is kind of like this is it's kind of like your sweet spot right phil that being less emotional yeah i think that's sort of thing that's fair to say yeah yeah it's somewhat of a a social handicap but also has some advantages Yeah. So, so Phil's always super even keel and the it's, uh, I don't know. I, I got into Enneagrams one time and, and, uh, and Phil's just, we're going to learn about all sorts of people's personalities, but that's, that's one of, one of Phil's trademarks is you can't, it's, it's really nice knowing Phil because you never have to worry about like, Oh man, he's going to get really 
upset at me or get real offended. Like, I, I don't think you can be offended. Is that, is that right, Phil? Uh, that's, that's probably not right. <laughs> I can, I can, okay. I can probably be offended, but hopefully I don't, well, get we can try, right? <laughs> yeah. I, hopefully I don't get offended by stupid things. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you made it this long on ag Twitter. So mm-hmm. I, I have full disclosure. I have a time or two been somewhat offended by ag Twitter, but I've gotten over it. Oh, good. But speaking of uh, which, my tweet from today is the best one I've ever done, bar none, and I'll have to retire now, probably. Yeah, you made a meme. Go out on, on a high. Describe for our audience the meme you made. Well, I, this is the first Super Bowl that I've watched much of in a long, long time, and, and, uh, and that includes a halftime show. But anyway, we did have a 50-cent inverse at halftime, which was pretty great. I thought it was a nice nod to the basis traders of the world. We don't get <laughs> recognized on national television that often. <laughs> Now, in your in your mind, was Fifty Cent narrowing or widening? No, on he, show? he he appeared to be widening significantly. <laughs> wow, that's the right amazing. answer. He's the same age as me, and I, I've also widened as time has gone on. So that's that's you know that just happens, part of life. You guys, you know, it's Fifty Cent, right? You keep saying Fifty. Yeah, that's that's gonna be hard for me to to not say fifty. I'm okay. My my, well, I get emotional about a lot of things, but I I get emotional about grammar and pronunciation and punctuation. So, well, this is, I mean, well, if you want to get into it here, Phil, I mean, this is it's a proper name, so he can make it whatever he wants it to be, right? You're right, unequivocally, you're right. But anyways, I don't I don't know where we're. At, we were we were at a place that made sense. We and can get back there again. I see a light in the distance. Help. <laughs> as, as usual, Ag Twitter has created a tangent unrelated to the topic <laughs> at hand. Help me. Okay, so <clears throat> tell us a little bit about where your mind was at as you came up with these opening remarks and what has been going on, whether – not necessarily just you personally, but with mm. our business and what you've been noticing over the past several months and it, it maybe past several years, but where did that come from your, your remarks? Well, the, the, actually these remarks were, were drawn largely from what I had planned for opening remarks for the January, 2021 conference, which was canceled. It, it's not word for word. I've, I've made quite a bit of change in it, but the, the principles that I talked about uh, have been around with us for a couple of years now. And, and of course, if you've been in the grain business for more than five or six years, you've gone through times like this at, at least two or three times, if, if not several times. And it seems like what happens is for pretty extended periods, the futures market specifically will, will be quiet relatively calm, not not predictable is too strong a word, but at least there'll be some repetition. There'll be some things that happen at the times we expect them to happen. The market will do with spreads what we hope it will do with spreads. The prices will stay somewhat quiet. And whether it's just been several years since the last time that didn't happen, or you're new to the industry and, and this is the first time you've ever seen this, either way, when the market doesn't behave like we expect, or when it when it chooses to do things 
at a time that doesn't normally do it, or the price just keeps going up and won't stop or whatever, uh, whatever happens in the futures market also then gets reflected in the cash market and buyers and sellers start to act differently. And the times that you normally want to buy turn into the times you normally, you should be selling and the times that you normally think you should sell turn into the times you're buying and just everything gets turned on its head and is extremely uncomfortable. And it, uh, it raises a lot of emotions in people and raises a, a lot of discomfort in all of us because the market is, is doing two things. It's, it's asking us to do things differently than normal. And it's reminding us that it's not predictable it's not controllable. It's not tameable. It's just this giant force that does what it wants to when it wants to. And we have to navigate that and, and live within whatever those parameters are that it's presenting. But what if I don't like it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say nobody likes it. At least nobody likes it all the time. Even people who thrive on chaos and love change are made uncomfortable by this. And, and um, you can absolutely reserve the right to not like it. There's no question about that. But what I think is dangerous is to believe that you can control or predict it or that the market has to do something. Okay. It's an inverse right now at harvest time. That doesn't make any sense to me. So it has to become a carry just because I can't come up with any reason why it should be an inverse. And what it's taught us, I think a couple of years in a row, uh, really no matter which of the major crops you handle, it's taught us that it does not have to do anything at any certain time. And all of your historical charts and everything that you can come up with to build a case for why what's happening shouldn't be happening, doesn't matter. And that, you know, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a boat guy and a fisherman and that, that always reminds me of the ocean right away, which is, um, you know, there are times a year the ocean should be calm and there are weather forecasts that tell me that it's going to be calm for this many days and kind of start being calm at this hour and stop being calm at this other hour. And the fact is the, the ocean can do whatever it wants. And that doesn't mean the ocean hates me or that it's out to get me or that it's evil or that it's anything. It's not anything. It's just a big force that that does whatever it wants to do isn't the right way to say it because it's not, it doesn't have a personality. It just does what it does. And, and all of my wishes about it, all of my predictions about it, all of my efforts to tame it or control it or predict it don't matter. It, it does what it does. And I have to live within that. Or die. <laughs> or, right. You, That's, right. You, you have the choice to ignore what's happening. That's for sure. <clears throat> and, and, and then you, yeah. You don't have the choice about accepting the consequences of that. You, you'll get the consequences. So, I mean, before we, obviously they're going to listen to the talk here. So uh, I don't, I don't want to step on too many toes, if you will. Uh, but, but no, that's really good. So if, if you're listening to this and your stress levels are high, your blood pressure is high, you know, it's always a good idea to take a step back, take a deep breath, Try to, you know, deal with things in a level-headed manner, take the emotion out of it. And so I, I think <clears throat> that's one of Phil's gifts, I would say, is, is to do that. And, and uh, so the, and this talk really is about that. And uh, so if, if that is where you're at, which a lot of us are, I get it, um, you know, take a minute or, or 20 and <laughs> listen to this. And, and uh, see if it can't help, help calm you. And I think 
coming from cal a calm place is where you can make your best uh, decisions, right? So, um, so anyways, hopefully this will be helpful to you. Anyway. Yeah. And if, if it's, um, if you're newer to the industry or in the early stages of your career, and this is the first time that you've seen something like this, the good news is if things continue in the future, how they have in the past, what's, what's coming up for you in the next several years will seem quite a bit easier than what you're dealing with now. But either way, uh, whether this is your first inverse or your first rally or your third, um, these are just reminders that, that ultimately the market is a force that we have to work with. And, and um, the most important thing you can do here, other than all the things that are in the talk, which I think are, are useful and important things. And I just pulled them out of real world conversations. I mean, all the three of us talk to people in the grain business all the time. And the things I talk about are the things that we hear from people and the things we feel ourselves. But either way, uh, hang on to this. If you're going through this right now and it's uncomfortable, and it is uncomfortable, I don't think you have the option to, to be comfortable in this situation, but just don't forget because if it, if things quiet down for the next several years, this will happen again. So the more you can hang on to these lessons, uh, either the things I talk about or just whatever the lessons are you're learning in your own experience, just, just don't let them fade because you'll have to use this information again. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for uh, filling us in and uh, we'll roll the footage as they say. That's right. I do want to make a plug quickly that I would like to sometime come back and be a honest to goodness, real guest on this podcast again. Oh, yes. We'll do that. I don't know if I'm funny, but I think you guys can make me come across funny. So that's like, like when you say real guest, like you want to be in our room with us. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. You need so to we, fly out here. Heck yeah. Or fly us down there or fly to the middle. Everyone can fly. <laughs> Or yeah, let's drive. Start. I don't care. Let's take a train. Let's do this all in an Amtrak. <laughs> I'm up for all that. Let's make it happen. All right. Thanks, old buddy. Thank you. I'm going to talk to you briefly about some lessons that we've learned from volatility. And by we, I mean all of us together. Uh, when I started working at White Commercial, I remember Don White and John and others repeatedly talking about preparing for seldom, which is a kind of a nebulous term. It just means something that happens every so often, right? Seldom, don't know if it's good or bad. You don't know what it is other than that it doesn't happen all the time. And uh, since then, I've had, you know, 27 years to, to experience different market environments. And so you're always either in seldom or you're about to be in seldom or seldom's a little ways off, but then you're going to be about to be in it again. That's how, and right now we're in it. Right? Would you guys agree that we're in a somewhat of a seldom environment? We had inverses in all the commodities last year. We're looking at Inverses in corn and wheat and soybeans. Who knows what's going on with soybeans? We're, we're in a seldom environment right now. And it takes, uh, it takes some skill to navigate. It takes some preparation. And it's too late for preparation if we're already in it. But what I wanted to do is talk about lessons that we learned from seldom and, and how to apply them. Because you can certainly start applying the lessons right now, right away. I bought my first boat from a buddy of mine. And it was a 17-foot flats boat, which means it sits about this high off the water. And it's meant to be in the river and in shallow water. You know, it's not, a, not an ocean-going boat. But he had a plaque right, right underneath the seat where you sit to drive the boat. He had a plaque that said this. And, and um, if you guys boat in the ocean or even on a big lake, uh, you know how 
how true this rings. I, I remember my grandfather telling me he was a, a big fisherman. He lived in Elyria, Ohio area, and big fisherman on Lake Erie. He loved to catch walleye. And he used to tell stories, you know, you set out on a Saturday morning and everything looks great. And you're out there catching walleye and doing whatever. And all of a sudden everything changes. And now you're singing hymns and saying prayers and hoping you make it back to the, to the boat ramp. And that happens quickly. And the market that we deal in is a similar type of thing. It's easy, I think, for us to take the futures market for granted or to think that we can predict it or think that it, it has to do certain things or that it's not, not that we can control it, but that we can, we can kind of know what to expect out of it. And it's really not like that. And every once in a while, seldom comes along and reminds us that our boat is small and it's a big market. And we shouldn't expect anything from it other than to provide to us what it does, which is an opportunity to lay off price risk and trade basis. You know, there's a lot of time and energy and effort that goes into predicting and even demanding. The market has to do this because I really need it to. It doesn't have to do anything. And every once in a while, it reminds us emphatically that that's the case. And so that really the lesson there is just to remember that this market we're, we're dealing with is not, it's a neutral force to us. You know, when you're out there in the ocean in your little boat or out there in one of the Great Lakes in your little boat, it's not trying to kill you. It's just indifferent to you. It, it's, it's just there and it's doing what it does. And if you're engaged in it, it's going to do what it does with you engaged in it. That's the, and that's an important thing to remember because I think you do get the sense, especially if you run in certain circles of our industry, that this is an easily predictable thing. You know, it has to do this because of this law about something. It doesn't have to do anything. Uh, a similar thing that uh, I, I'm, a, I'm kind of a science fiction fantasy nerd type of guy. And, and I, when I was a little kid, probably nine or ten, I started reading the Chronicles of Narnia. Probably some of you guys are familiar with that. And uh, anyway, the story, briefly, the story is these kids from England walk through the back of a closet and end up in this world that's got witches and talking animals and all kinds of stuff. And the first thing they run into is these talking animals, and they're, they're kind of, what's going on here? Well, it always snows because the evil witch took over, and it's, it's always winter and never spring. It's a bad situation. But the lion, the lion Aslan, is going to you know, set everything right. And the little girl asks this beaver that she's talking to, I think I'm a little nervous to meet a lion. Is he safe? And the beaver says, no, he's not safe. He's a lion. He's good. And that's another way that I, I think about the market. The market isn't the same way, of, same way as the allegory of the ocean. The market is not safe in the sense that it has to do anything that we need it to do. But it's good because it lets us participate. And, and frankly, from my standpoint, the less time you spend thinking about the futures market, the better. It's just a tool. If you drive a truck, you don't need to spend time thinking about how to disassemble a diesel engine. It's just not that important. You just drive the truck. Same kind of thing. Second thing that we learned from volatility is that different circumstances require different things from us. Not always comfortable things, not always things that appear to make sense, uh, but when we get an inverted market, for example, and that's really what seldom tends to mean for us, is, is if price volatility is part of it and credit line stress is part of it, but an inverse in the futures is, is typically a part of it as well. And that requires different things. It requires to sell more stuff sooner than you want to. Uh, we had a lot of conversations this year and last year, all of us talking to customers about, boy, this basis is really good, but it's October. I mean, I sell soybeans in January. I don't, I don't, it feels weird to sell beans in October. Well, it's a different circumstance. <laughs> Seldom is not the time to do the same thing you always do. It's a time to adapt your, your, your activities to the market. And in fact, uh, typically the market stands ready to punish you if you're not willing to change your approach. It's just a fact. And, and there's all kinds of different circumstances. I don't want to get into the details of this, but 
it, it makes us think about things in a new way and do things in a different way, oftentimes an uncomfortable way. But it's, we serve three customers in the grain business, really. We serve the growers, it's a really important thing. We serve the users, also really important. And we serve the market. And the market asks us to do things. It says, carry this stuff or don't carry it. And sometimes the market asking, is asking you for a different thing than your customers are. And the challenge then is to navigate how can I serve the customers and the market at the same time. And these are, it's not really optional. <laughs> we have to figure it out. So you must be willing to do things differently when the market is demanding that of you, I think. That's a simple but important lesson. Here's another one. Soybeans go up 30 cents. And then they go down 40 the next day, and then they're up 12, and then they're down 10, and then they're up 60, and then they're up to limit three days in a row. Uh, and, of course, wheat and corn do the same kind of thing. This is an emotional environment for people in the grain business. It's a time of very high emotions because, well, a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons is there's a, there's a way, there's an opportunity to feel like you were wrong no matter what you did. You can, you can make a nice sale and make a bunch of money and the next day feel like the biggest dummy in the world because you could have made way more money if you just waited one day. Or you could wait the one more day and then all of a sudden a position that was profitable isn't and you feel like the biggest dummy in the world because then, then just rinse and repeat. This goes on and on forever. A volatile market, just like we're sitting around trying to figure out what's going on, the market is itself doing that too. And that means things are sliding around and sloshing all over the place. And when that happens... When, I think high emotions come most, for most of us when uh, reality collides with expectations. If any of you are parents, you can probably own that one a little bit. But, uh, or if you're in a, in a relationship with another human being or yourself. <laughs> Emotion is not a merchandising skill, but it is, it is prevalent in a volatile environment. When we're in seldom, emotion is high. And I can think of lots of examples. One example is this stupid corn spreads inverted. It, it, can't, there's no, it can't stay that way. So I'm going to hedge a bunch of new crop purchases in old crop and just wait for it to come back because I'm paying way more basis than I want to. I know this thing's going to come back later on. That's, the, that's an emotional decision. It doesn't make any sense of any kind, any time, but it's the kind of thing that happens in this environment. Or you miss a hedge. You, know, you buy some grain over the weekend. The market's down. You put in an order three cents above the, <laughs> three cents above the close. The market's down 20 cents on the day. You're chasing that... that all of the attention that you need to be on running your business is now spent on chasing this 10,000 bushel hedge around. That happens all the time. And it is a disaster. It's an emotional decision. And maybe the worst one, the worst one that I've seen that really causes wreckage in people is you, you get in this revenge mindset. This stupid market won't give me carry, made me lose three cents on this weekend hedge, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to get revenge. I'm trading my way out of this stupid. This market, I, just, I hate the market. And the, again, the market is completely indifferent to you and me. It doesn't care at all. But this is the kind of thing that happens. And all I can advise you, I guess, here is, well, I already said it. Emotion is not a merchandising skill. It's a merchandising disaster. What you have to do, in my opinion, is take a deep breath. Step back from the thing that's in your face that's causing you this emotion Think about the big picture of what needs to happen in your business. Maybe call a friend and get some perspective and then get on with it. There's no, there is no return to fighting the market, being mad at the market, getting revenge on the market. There's, there's nothing there to get revenge on. So, I don't know if this resonates with any of you guys, but I have talked to people in, in this state many times. This year, last year, 10 years ago. It's a real thing. 
Here's another one. I said, you get a lot of opportunities to feel like you're the dumbest person in the world every day. And sometimes multiple times in the same day for all the, all the reasons I've already talked about. Beating yourself up is not helpful. The, the only time that you have to improve on anything ever is right now. There is no time machine for you to go back and redo what you did. You have to learn a lesson. I mean, sometimes, sometimes what you did was a knucklehead thing to do, so you have to learn the lesson and apply it next time, but there's very little value to living in the past, and there's very little value to beating yourself up. If, you spent, if you've invested in building skills and learning about your market and a student of the basis and you're making the best decisions you can, there's no value in beating yourself up. It's, it's just a waste of time, and I recommend getting over it as soon as possible. All right, let's get on to some more positive things. Uh, seldom, a seldom market will reveal all of the cracks in your discipline. Hedging policies, contracting policies, communication among your team, wh whatever it is, if there are any chinks in the armor, this environment will show you what they are, which is a good thing because now you can fix them. If once you've identified what they are, you can get about the business of fixing them. And the challenging part is, this is what happens to all of us. This happens to us in business, happens to us in our personal lives. When things are weird, you do fix, you know, you, you find the cracks and you seal them up and you get everything good. And then when things aren't weird anymore, you let it all slip. So my challenge to you is once you've sealed the cracks, keep them sealed. When things are calm, when there's a big carry in the market and nothing's moving at all and the bases are just inching up over time, still stay disciplined. Still communicate to your team. Still keep your hedge position tight. Still make your contract policies make sense. But the good thing about this environment is it will show you where the problems are. Clearly, and sometimes painfully, hopefully not too painfully, but you'll, whatever they are, you'll find them. The greatest differentiator, and there's no close second, of successful grain businesses or people versus unsuccessful grain businesses or people is the ability to make a decision and act. Decide something and take action. There's no close second. Big credit line is helpful. Nice facility is helpful. You know, a talented team is helpful, but the simple ability to make a decision and move on to the next decision and move on to the next decision and move on to the next decision is the difference maker, purely. And that goes right along with not beating yourself up, not being mad at the market. You make a decision and you do it. And, uh, you know, you, you guys, those of you who knew, who knew Don White knew he was, that was a huge drum that he beat his whole life was uh, decision making is, is the key. And I, I did not always understand it or even believe it necessarily. It seemed too simple, but I, I, you will find no firmer believer now. In fact, it caused me no small amount of marital stress because I was like, oh, should we have done that? It doesn't matter. We did that thing. Now we're going to do this next thing. Let's go. And she's like, why don't you quit being like that? I can't. <laughs> Decision-making is the way. I believe in it with all my heart. And so this, this is, that means that you have to be willing to make good decisions, and you have to measure them appropriately. This, and I, I'll freely admit I stole this next idea from a lady named Annie Duke. She was a world champion poker player and wrote a couple books about decision making. And a poker player is, a, is a, good, a good person to listen to in our business because you are always making business decisions with impartial information. Always. You never know all the pieces. Now, you, you, you can eventually know all, you're going to know all of them eventually, but you're, you're deciding what to pay for grain. You're deciding what kind of spreads to set. You're deciding whether to be short the basis or long the basis with imperfect, incomplete and unknowable information. You can't know all the things at the same time. And what that leads to is you make a decision. You know, we, we, can, we can talk about this in, in farmer terms. Is that me? Nope, it's not me. I set an alarm, I think, so I wouldn't go too long. 
It wasn't me. You can think about this in farmer terms. A farmer sees a good price, sells a good price, the price goes up, and the common thing is, oh, I, really, I, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. The fact that new information came into play later does not mean your decision was bad. It just means you didn't know all the information at the time. In fact, the decision could have been very good. Made the most profitable sale you ever made doesn't make it bad because new information came to light. Or if you sold at a thin margin because that seemed like the right thing to do at the time, and then better margins were, or you didn't sell and now you're losing money. All these, the point I'm trying to get at is you have to make quality decisions. And that doesn't mean that the decision in retrospect looks like the best thing you could have done because you're never going to know that. So a quality decision takes into account the skill you've built, the perspective that you and your team and your friends have, the probabilities of the situation. You know, we have, we have a gut feeling. We have perspective on whether basis is going up or down from here, and you make, make decisions based on that. And you make a quality decision, which just means it's, a, it's not emotional, it's not spur of the moment, it's not without all the facts you can get. You make good decisions, and you make another good decision, you make another good decision, and if you could have done a better thing later, that doesn't make your decision bad. A bad decision is made for the wrong reasons without getting the information you can have. You, you see the difference? My decision wasn't good or bad because something changed later. My decision was good or bad on its own merits. It was a good, well-thought-out decision, or it wasn't, period. Does that make sense? It's a, I've been trying to communicate this to people for a long time. It's another thing that I believe in very firmly. But just human nature is, oh, that was a bad, you know, it was a bad decision. I did this, this better thing happened. Oh, I shouldn't have done it. It was a bad decision. That's not right. Unless you know all the information in advance, a good decision or bad decision is about the result, although good decisions over time will lead to good results. It's about the quality of the decision. Make the best quality decision you can make and then get on to the next decision. And then probably the most practical way I can tell you is, I think about this when I do farmer meetings, and I think it applies to you guys as well. In the real world, most of our business decisions are made on really, really practical things. Logistics, cash flow, space availability. They're, they're made on payroll. Time. They're, they're made on these business things. And if you don't manage the opportunity around those decisions, then you just have to do things when it's time for that to happen. I'm running out of space, I gotta sell. Well, I, you know, I should have thought about that before. So if you're talking about making good decisions, same thing with farmers. Most grain gets sold because a farmer needs money or runs out of space, period. Almost always that's the reason. That's not bad, that's business, that's normal. So we have these conversations about what's the price gonna do and what's happening in China and blah, blah, blah. The fact is, you need money and run out of space around the same time every year. Let's talk about maximizing. You're gonna sell those bushels in January no matter what. Let's talk about maximizing your January price. Now just take that idea and apply it to yourself. That's what you're making decisions on really anyway. We're just wading through all this noise all the time about market movements in foreign countries and socioeconomic things and et cetera. Truly though, if you make quality decisions about your business over time, that's gonna work out. It is. And lastly, there's a, somewhat of an epidemic in grain businesses about feeling like you're the only person that knows what this problem is, that knows that is up against the challenges you're up against, that, that you know, my market's different from everybody else's market. The fact is you get together in a group like this and you find out challenges are challenges. They're more or less universal. There are some specifics. It's different in New York than it is in Indiana for different reasons, but, but the business challenges that you guys face, somebody else is facing them or has faced them and overcome them. Don't do this alone. Get some perspective. 
doesn't have to be us, although I highly recommend us. Talk to the white commercial team. Talk to your friends in the white commercial group. Talk to somebody else. It's important not to do this by yourself. It's really hard to lose perspective and get emotional and et cetera when you're trying to do it alone. So we've got, yeah, we've got just a couple days. Well, we've got today and tomorrow anyway. Here's what I want to challenge you as we move through these sessions and spend time together. We've built in lots of breaks because we want you to talk to each other. We have big, long breaks in between the sessions on purpose so that you have time to meet each other, to talk about issues, to, to solve these problems together. Uh, here's what I want to challenge you. If you're new to this business, whether because you're young or because you've just come into it from somewhere else, number one, don't assume you have no valuable input. We need fresh perspectives. You may be wrong. You may say, hey, I have this idea, and they say, well, that's not right, and here's why, because you just didn't know enough information, but that's not bad. New ideas are important. We need them. So don't think you have nothing to offer because you're new to the industry. It's just not true. The other thing is, don't be afraid to reveal your ignorance. Ignorance is a pejorative in our language now, but all it means is you don't know something. <laughs> the best way to get to know something is say, hey, I don't know that thing. Will you tell me about it? It's an amazing path. We have... A, Culturally, we have a little bit of a pride thing that says, oh, if I, tell, you know, if I act like I don't know something, people will look down on me. It's just, that's just not true. It's just not true. Pejorative. What's a pejorative? I don't know something. <laughs> <laughs> a pejorative is a, is a negative way of talking about somebody. You're ignorant. That's, you're ignorant just means you don't know something. <laughs> no, but, it's, but what I'm saying is that word is not, it's used as a pejorative, but it's not one. Oh. It's not a negative thing. It just means you don't know something. That's it. So... And also, if you ask things, then you get to know that thing later on. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful system. If you've been in this business a long time, my challenge to you is don't expect that everybody knows what you know. We had a little bit of talk about that in the succession forum. You've known things because you spent 30, 40, 50 years building this knowledge, and it's second, it's second, place to you, uh, second nature to you. I remember when I got started at White Commercial, I really wanted to understand basis trading. I, I talked to Scotty. And, and Scotty had been basis trading, you know, probably at that point close to as long as I'd been alive. And he, I, nothing against Scotty, he's a wonderful man, taught me a lot. But I felt like he was always starting the conversation here, and I needed, like, what's a futures country? You know, I, I needed really basic information, and we're all like that. Once we get to know something, I made a promise to myself I would never assume people know something, but I find myself doing it all the time because you just, just so long and so natural, you just think everybody knows this, but it's not true. So now and when you're at work, take time. When you go back to your business, take time to explain things. It's, people aren't insulted. Most people that are reasonable are not insulted when you explain things to them, even if they think they already know it. The other thing is, if you've been in this business a long time and have a lot of experience, don't be afraid to reveal your ignorance. Ask a question. No one's going to look down on you for asking a question. If you've been in the business for two days or 200 years, it doesn't matter. People just want to help you, and if you ask questions, they'll help you. That's my challenge to you as we move through the rest of today. And uh, as we move through the day tomorrow, and as we move through our lives beyond this point, because this is kind of one of those high experiences, but when you go home, all this stuff has to happen. So we've got to hang on to it. Okay, I don't know what time it is, but I'm all out of words. So I want to say thank you very much for being here. This thing only works because you're here. And we love it. We all look forward to this all year long. In two years, in this case, we look forward to it. We're very happy to be here. We want to help you however we can. But we need you. It's successful when we're all engaged in this together. So thanks very much for being here.
Excuse me. <laughs> what, was what was that? <laughs> what the heck was that? <laughs> KFC snuck out in a violent way. <laughs> it was like GERD, but I call it herd. <laughs> Holy smokes. <laughs> no silent reflux here. You know, this is the microphone, right? Yeah, but it's picking up my voice when I look the other direction too. There's echoes. Omnidirectional. <laughs> like the hotel. <laughs> All right. Pretty much. Uh, hey, before we get into this, yeah. Well, it's recorded now. We should we it's should already into, into getting. I know. It's just starting point, right? But um supposed to wait till we we're ready before you hit the record, rookie. I'll forget. Haven't used my computer because Jason's limping his along with various cords and plugs. <laughs> my computer's a radio right now. <laughs> yeah, my rabbit ears, I'm good to go. Anyways. Yeah, we envision you saying, like, this. I'm glad you guys used this. It was very important, the words I said. And mm, wow. Here we, here we go. People love it when podcast episodes start out that way. You got to pump it up, so to speak. No, that's not true. But I think the gist of it is to maybe Jason will ask you, hey, Phil, why did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> and you'll say, got to start a convention somehow. You understand what we want? And by we, I mean Jason. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm I do. a free episode. That's what... <laughs> I had a stirring in my soul. You talking about... Um the lion the aslan thing yeah it's not safe but it's good it's like voyeurism (laughs) 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 it's not safe but it's good right i mean you don't want to get caught Wow. One hardly knows where to begin. Oh, God. <laughs> I think we've got what Do we you need. Understand, and we can edit from here. Is you guys good? Are we done? Uh, wow. <laughs> As always, thanks for downloading and listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with folks you know in the business. And if you'd like to reach out anytime about anything at all or have any show ideas, you can always find us on Twitter at Elevators Cut. Follow us there, tweet at us, DM us, and we'll always respond. Till next time, for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevators Cut. Oh.